If it's been a long week, raise your hand. It's been a long week, hasn't it? It's been a long, long week. But I'm glad we're here together this morning. I'm glad that we get to talk about it, that we don't have to be afraid about it. Um, go ahead like me. If you've got a cell phone, put it on silent. That way if mine rings, I don't blame you guys. But I'm glad we get to talk about it this week uh, because here's the reality of the world we live in. We live in a world where different always divides. Different divides. And that's what we're going to see in the story we look at. Last week we looked at a church in Antioch, and this week we're going to look at a church in Rome. And what this church in Rome was facing was that the fact that they were different divided them. You see, in this particular church, it was made up of two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews, or Jews and Gentiles. And as we talked about last week, this was no minor difference. This was a big difference. And the main difference that they were having issues over was what I'll call kosher conundrums. The Jews thought that they had to eat food in a certain way to honor Jesus. They couldn't eat things that had been sacrificed to idols, and they had to make sure that those, those, those animals were killed in a certain way. And if it wasn't killed in a certain way, and if it, wasn't sac if it was sacrificed to idols and they ate it, then Jesus would be dishonored. Now, Gentiles didn't grow up with that history. And so they could eat anything. So they're going over to the deli and they're getting media noche sandwiches and pork rinds and they're ordering bacon with their breakfast with no sense of anything being wrong. And the Jews were walking by and seeing them in the deli and going, doesn't that guy, isn't he supposed to worship Jesus? If he's supposed to worship Jesus, why is he eating that meat? And the Gentiles, as they were eating the meat, they would look out the window at the Jews walking by and realize that those same people from their church were judging them for eating meat. And so they ended up in this place where they were different. But that difference grew into disgust. They didn't like being in the same room with each other because when they were in the same room with each other, the issue was there and they couldn't move past that. And so what ended up happening is the difference led to disgust and the disgust led to a division between followers of Jesus. Differences divide. Now they still tried to engage each other. They tried to talk with each other, but really they were engaging each other to get those mic drop moments with one another. You know the mic drop moments where you say something, you drop the mic and you walk off? They were living for that because they wanted to make their point. And so rather than just trying to get each other in the room, they were trying to get each other in the ring. And their question is, when can I write that other person off? When can I just sort of say, it's not worth it anymore? They have no worth to me because our values, even in Jesus, are so different. When can I write them off? Does that sound familiar at all? At all, does it sound familiar? This past week, I went to early vote down at the Hollywood Library, and I got out of my car, and I walked up to the library, and as I walked up, I saw two guys in each other's faces just getting ready, getting ready. And I kind of went up, and I said, hey, hey, same country, same country. And the guy turned at me. I could see he was ready to go, and, uh, and they backed off. But I thought, man, that's just a good picture of where we're at. Differences lead to disgust, and disgust leads to 
division. But the good news is, is Paul gives us an answer. Paul gives us a solution. Paul challenges us to see more um, in this text. And so I want to read to you from Romans chapter 14 and 15. Romans chapter 14 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You know, I could just stop right there and we could go home. I mean, that's, probably, that's good enough, isn't it? That's the Bible right there. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God, Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Did you hear that? Not to please ourselves. Let, us, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that you t together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of of God. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray for your presence here right now because we, we can't make this happen on our own. We need your power to transform us, to take us from disgusted and divided to united in love. 
And so we pray that your spirit would be here working in all of our hearts, changing our perspectives, helping us see more and, and think more broadly about who you are and what Jesus has done. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Different, disgusted, and divided. Jesus wants more. Amen. Jesus wants more. Jesus wants more than tolerance. Tolerance, I believe, has failed our country because really, who wants to be tolerated? I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be loved. Amen. I want to be loved. And so Jesus wants more than tolerance. But Jesus also wants more than uniformity. Uniformity says you got to look like me and you got to think like me and you got to act like me and you got to vote like me in order to be part of this. And Jesus does not want uniformity. Jesus wants unity. See, tolerance falls short of love and uniformity falls short of true unity. Jesus wants more. Jesus wants more. Jesus wants this. Jesus wants us to be different, but one. Different, but one. See, the problem is we have listened to the talking heads on TV too much. And the talking heads are going to feed into this thing that we call caricatures. A caricature is like a cartoon version of someone that emphasizes something about them. If you look it up on the internet, a caricature defined as a description of a person where certain characteristics are exaggerated in order to create a comic or grotesque effect. In this election season, we have all walked around with caricatures of other people. We've all been guilty of that because we've listened to the talking heads and we've listened to our hearts. There's something in us, as much as we don't like to admit it, that wants to stereotype other people, that wants to find a reason to write them off. Because ultimately, if we're honest, we think more people should be like us. I think more people should be like me. I think you should look like me and think like me and act like me and talk like me. And what's in all of our hearts is this deep sense of self-righteousness, and that prohibits us from getting in the shoes of another person and understanding where they're coming from. I mean, that's what was going on in Rome. In the church at Rome, these people who love Jesus are developing caricatures of each other. And they're just waiting for the moment when a Gentile says to them what he believes, I knew it, I knew you thought that way. I knew it. And the Jews are looking at the Gentiles going, man, they just don't love Jesus like we do. Because if they love Jesus like we do, they wouldn't eat that meat. They would stop going to the deli and eating all that meat that they're not supposed to. And the Gentiles looked back at the Jews and said, look, all food has been cleaned in Jesus. Are you guys dumb? Don't you know Jesus like we do? Don't you know the work of Jesus like we do? And as those people interacted, caricatures grew and division ensued. And that's what's happened in our cultural moment. We're dealing with caricatures of each other when we should be looking at each other with sympathy, trying to get in each other's shoes, trying to reach across the aisle and understand where another person is coming from. We got to stop dealing with each other purely as voting blocks and stereotypes and thinking that that other type of Christian is the wrong type of Christian. We have lost sympathy for one another. 
the morning after the election, I got up and I was feeling all sorts of things and I just said, you know what? Ice machine, I'm feeling something right now towards that ice machine. <laughs> but I woke up and I, and I said, you know what? I, I think what people need is just to feel understood. And so I, I wrote this little post on Facebook and it just said, to these people, I know that you feel this way. To these people, I know that you feel this way. And it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't incredibly insightful. It was just sympathy. And evidently, that was my peak moment on Facebook because it got shared 20 times. Now, everyone wants their post to be shared. Evidently, that was my greatest moment on Facebook, and it's all downhill from here. But I thought to myself, it wasn't incredibly insightful. It was just saying, I feel for you. And it made me think we're missing out on sympathy for where other people are coming from. People just want to be understood. They want you to get in their shoes and understand why they're making the decisions that they're making. And they don't want to be judged or stereotyped or made into a caricature, but seen as someone who's really trying to follow Jesus, just like you are, just like you are. And I know it's different. I know it's difficult because some of you deep in your heart, you say, how can you overlook racism and misogyny? And others of you say, look, I don't know how you can look over the lives of the unborn and a concern for religious freedom. But then what happens is you judge why they made that decision and you end up with a caricature of a person rather than feeling sympathy for someone who's trying to figure out this confusing season. And the reality is Jesus wants you to see more than a caricature of a person. Jesus wants you to see a fellow follower of Christ. Jesus wants you to see a fellow follower of Jesus. And that's what Paul's trying to get these people to see in Rome because he's telling them, look, people are eating meat and they're not eating meat, but they're doing it with their eyes on Jesus. They're doing it in honor of the Lord. Some people are observing Jewish holidays and some people don't, but they're doing it with their eyes on the Lord, in honor of the Lord. Now, Paul isn't saying that anything goes. You know, you can't rob a bank and just say, well, I had my eyes on Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, there are things that are clear in scripture, like the 10 commandments. Those are absolutely clear, but there's many things that are confusing. And we can't judge our brothers and sisters when things get confusing and they're not as clear. The cultural background of the Jews and Gentiles affected their choice. And we're in a time when cultural background affects our choice. We've seen that. If we go and look at the voting blocks, we do see that. But we can't write each other off. We can't write each other off. You say, John, look, I get that. But what if they're off in a way that really hurts people? What if them being off affects people and hurts people? Look, everyone has to give their answer to God. Verse 12 says that we each have to give an account to God. And so look, they're not following you. People aren't following you. They're following Jesus. And they will have to answer to Jesus for their choices. You say, well, that's great. But what about now? What about right now? It just, it's so painful to stay in relationship with someone who's so different than me. And when I look at how they voted, they don't see what I see. I, they're really off. So when can I write them off? 
It's a tough question, and I think every American is wrestling with that. But let me bring another story into the picture. The story is about how God had a million and one reasons to write you off, but he didn't. But he didn't. God created us to be in relationship with him. We were, we were, we were born into this world meant to have relationship and harmony with him to be loved by him and follow him and love him in return. But we wrote God off and we said, no, we're good. I got this. I want to live my life my way. We tried to impeach God. And when we did that, it separated us from him. We wrote him off and it separated us from him. But not only that, it separated us in all sorts of weird ways. It broke us on the inside so that now we're wrestling with shame and anger. We don't really know who we are and we struggle. And if we die, we're facing separation of our physical body from our spiritual soul. And then most importantly, an irreparable permanent separation from God. And good works can't repair that relationship. You can't repair a separation you've created by helping someone across the street or, or going to pick up groceries for someone, we have written God off and we've signed off on that. And so God has every reason to return the favor and write us off. But in God's great love for us, he welcomed us in Christ. In God's great love for us, he did not write us off even though he had a million and one reasons to write us off. God the Father sent God the Son as a substitute. Jesus, fully God, fully man, sinless, yet got us and what it was like to walk in our shoes. Jesus is put on the cross, which is him being written off in your place. Him being written off in your place. And when he did that, he paid the penalty that you deserve, the spot that you deserved to be separated from God, he paid that penalty for you. And he died being written off by God. The father turns his back on Jesus while he's on the cross and the father writes off the son. And Jesus dies alone and in separation for you. But death could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down and he didn't stay dead or he didn't stay separated. He kicked the tomb open and he walked out and when he walked out of that tomb, it proved that he was Lord. Yes. Now that's good news and it's tough news because if Jesus is Lord, it means you're not. Yep. And it means that people aren't trying to follow you, they're trying to follow Jesus. Verse nine says that he died and lived again that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Jesus is Lord. But when he rose again and ascended into heaven, he healed the separation between you and God, bringing you to the family table. You see, that's, that's the gospel. The gospel is that God had every reason to write us off and write us out, but Jesus was written out for us. And now we're welcome to God's family table. Broken, messed up, confused people all sitting down around the table together. And let me tell you something, you're still way off. <laughs> you're still off, but God doesn't write you off because Jesus died in your place. You're welcome to the family table of God. 
So then the question in our minds should change from when can I write all those weird people off that aren't like me to, man, God didn't write me off. So how can I love? How can I love them? How can I move towards them that are, that are in this family of God together with me? And that's just it. Fellow followers of Jesus are family. Paul in this passage uses the term brother. Brother. That's familial language. And he's not saying that people got to be uniform. He's saying that people are very different, but all of a sudden we find ourselves in this crazy mixed up family of God together. Different, but one. Not a clique. Not surrounding ourselves with people who think and act and look like us, but in a new kind of family together where the only qualification is you realize you should have been written out but God wrote you in and welcomed you because of what Jesus has done. Amen. And now we look to each other in love because Christ loved us. It changes our motivation and it changes how we look at one another. And we actually begin being concerned less about ourselves and more, across from that, more concerned about that person who's sitting across the table. Listen to what Paul writes and think about how radical this is. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Paul's telling these Gentile believers who are actually correct in their understanding, they are allowed to eat meat, but he's saying, if you eat meat and it destroys the conscience of your brother, you're not loving them. See, we live in a country where it's all about my rights and my opinions and my decisions. And what Paul is saying is that true love actually looks like us laying our rights down for the sake of someone else. We're meant to love family than, rather than writing off a caricature, rather than writing off a stereotype. And look, when you write off other believers because they don't see what you see, you end up creating a clique of Christians who think like you and act like you and vote just like you. And when you do that, you end up with a small Jesus. You end up with a Jesus who fits only your agenda. And the reality is we're not supposed to seek a clique of Christians and we're not supposed to follow a small Jesus, but we're supposed to pursue the kingdom of the king, the kingdom of of the king. You see, Jesus's agenda, his political platform is way bigger than any one party can handle. It's bigger than either Republicans or Democrats can implement. Jesus is making all things new and he's bringing his, I'm, I'm glad that you're excited. He's bringing his kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace and love to bear in the world through the church. Michael Williams says that whenever human beings sense that things are not as they ought to be, that something is amiss in their lives or their societies, the kingdom of God is what they're hoping for. Now, I don't know any political party that can set right all the hopes and dreams that humanity suffers in this broken world. And that should tell us that God's kingdom is much bigger than any political agenda. Show Baraka came into town last night. Anybody go? Nobody went. All right. This is what Show says. We want a Jesus. And let me just warn you. He's going to offend you. 
He's going to offend you wherever you're at. We want a Jesus that fits our agenda. We want a Jesus who cares about the unborn, but not police brutality. We want a Jesus who cares about the poor, but ignores the nefarious practices that create poverty. We want a Jesus who punishes corrupt systems, but ignores our personal vices. Are there two Christs? You know, as I read my Bible, Jesus is concerned about all of these things. Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about two of those terms, righteousness and peace, a kingdom of righteousness. Righteousness is God's ways, and God wants his ways to be followed everywhere. God wants his ways to be followed in the bedroom, in the courtroom, in the boardroom, in the family room, and in the classroom. God wants his character implemented and wants us to live out a kingdom of righteousness. Now, if, his, if righteousness was lived out in all those areas, that is way bigger than any one political party. But the reality is, as I say, bedroom, courtroom, boardroom, family room, classroom, we probably care about one or two of those. If, if you're honest, you're drawn to one or two of those and you're like, that's the problem area. That's the area that we really need to focus on. But Jesus is concerned about all of those rooms. But it's also a kingdom of peace. Peace. Now, peace right here does not mean ceasefire. It doesn't mean the absence of war. It means the word shalom. Shalom is a greeting, but it also is a term that means all things everywhere set right. Peace, harmony, human flourishing, every human being living in relationship to God, loving God and loving their neighbor. Businesses working the way they're supposed to, not in competition, but thinking about the best way to serve their community. People actually, and I'm going to say it, voting with their neighbor in mind and not just themselves. Shalom is God setting things right. And when shalom comes, differences don't divide. Differences are beautiful. Beautiful. The kingdom that God wants to bring to bear in this world is so much bigger than any of us can even dream or imagine. But we got to start engaging it. We got to start asking, where is righteousness and shalom missing in our city? so that God can use us to be peacemakers rather than peace fakers here in Hollywood and Hallandale. This, this uh, Tuesday night, we're gonna talk a little bit about that on our Google Hangout, our video chat that we do once a week. We're just gonna ask a question, where is shalom missing in our city? You can feel free to engage that. And then next week, if you come back, we're gonna be looking specifically at the church and the marginalized. What is the church's responsibility when we talk about mercy and justice for outsiders, for the poor, for the vulnerable? Because Jesus wants to pursue a kingdom bigger than any one clique, bigger than any one political party. He wants more. He wants more than tolerance. He wants more than uniformity. Jesus wants more than us making caricatures of each other and more, more than us trying to write each other off. Jesus wants more than us shrinking his kingdom down to our personal preferences. But Jesus can ask for more because Jesus gives more. Amen. 
Jesus gives more. In verse 3 of chapter 15, Paul says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And here it is. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You see, Jesus wants us to bear with one another. He wants us to serve one another with no conditions attached. He wants to lo- us to love one another, even if we drastically disagree, because Jesus served us. Jesus had everything going for him, sitting with the Holy Spirit and the Father in heaven, and he left the comfort of that place, not to please himself, but to serve us, to die on the cross to serve you and honor God. Jesus wants more because Jesus gave everything. And so then we look to Jesus and as we look to how much he loves us and how much he serves us, then we now have love in our hearts to love one another. And what that might look like is not voicing our private convictions so loudly that it wounds others. It might look like limiting our personal freedom out of a concern for a fellow follower of Jesus. It might look like not laying out conditions for who we will and who we won't serve and befriend. And it definitely looks like not writing each other off. See, the watching world needs to see something different right now. Not next week, not next month, but right now. The world needs to see something different. And what it needs to see is the church being different, but one different but one. There are so many voices shouting in our culture. It drowns out everything. But if people unite together and say the same thing, the world will hear. Now that doesn't even mean that we need to ignore some disparities, injustice. It's not saying be quiet, but it is saying hold on to Jesus together. On the count of three, I want you all to say your name. I'll give you my name. Anybody need to look up on their ID what it is just to make sure. Okay, on the count of three, I want you all to say your name. One, two, three. I didn't catch any of that. Honestly, I didn't. I was try. I thought I'd get one or two. Now I want this smaller group on the side, on the count of three, just to say Jesus. And you guys say your names again. One, two, three. I heard that, I didn't hear you guys. And the point is that when we unite together, the world hears and sees something different. We don't have to ignore the problems. We enter into the problems, but we enter into the problems united, not writing each other off, but together, different, but one. And as we do that, the world sees Jesus on display. Listen to what Paul says about one voice. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the count of three, y'all say Jesus with me. One, two, three. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Erwin Lutzer says that revival will not come from the top down, but from the bottom up. As we unite together, different, but one. Not writing each other off, but listening with sympathy trying to understand where our brothers and sisters are coming from and together 
proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are ruling and reigning on the throne right now. And as we come here, we have to admit we're confused. We're hurt. Um, we don't really know how to implement this, but we know that if we hold on to you together, you will give us your wisdom. We know that you are ruling and reigning now, and you are showing yourself to the world through us. So Jesus, would you help us to be different but one in the church? And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let me invite you now to stand. We're going to sing one chorus of the anthem, and then we're going to spend a moment together praying that the church would be different 